Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm sure all of you have noticed how the days are getting longer. Have you? 22nd was the winter solstice. And actually, today will be one and a half minutes longer, the daylight will be. Yeah. I know, it's going to be amazing. Um, tomorrow night we're having a uh, New Year's Eve watch night service here, and we're gathering together. It's going to be very informal. Any of you who have uh, musical instruments, well, if you know how to play them, and, um, you know, have, we're going to gather together. We're going to just jam and worship and praise the Lord, and, and uh, I think we're going to, ha- going to have refreshments downstairs. Is that right? Yeah, any hors d'oeuvre anyone wants to bring. I like shrimp. But anyway, uh, whatever hors d'oeuvre you might want to bring. And also, we have a DVD. I think someone has already signed it out uh, today. And it's Dr. David Jeremiah and uh, Dr. David Regan. I'm sorry, Dr. David Jeremiah, someone else. Dr. David Regan, he actually is a former college uh, president, university president. And uh, he... um, went full-time into serving the Lord and writing books and articles and so forth on the soon return of the Lord. And um, the name of the DVD is Jesus is Coming. Okay. I was wondering if I'm needing to do something. And uh, so I'd really encourage you to look into grabbing a hold of that if you can. And if you want to open your Bibles, we're picking up in Exodus chapter uh, 19, uh, verse 10. 19 verse 10, that's where we will be picking up this morning. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and how rightly it is said, there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And it says we must be saved. Father, we know that this world is soon coming to an end as we know it. All the signs are there, the times are ripe for you to take your church out of this world and your judgment to begin. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that until that day comes, until that moment comes, we would be your ambassadors, that you would not only fill us with your Holy Spirit, but equip us in your word, that we might be able to share our faith everywhere we go. Help us, Lord, to be more diligent in our prayer time, in our Bible study, and most of all, in our evangelism. So now, Father, come and minister to each one of us through your word because we worship and love you because you alone are worthy. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, one of the things we have to understand that as believers, when we talk about the soon return of the Lord, it's not something that is out of, keep, out of keeping with Scripture. As a matter of fact, right from the beginning, they talked about the soon coming of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that it, it's, you know, Israel is the time clock. On May 14, 1948, we all know this, Israel became a nation. But then in Ezekiel 38, it also sets up a scenario where these particular armies are going to come against uh, Israel. I talked about this in the second service last week. And uh, it's just amazing. They're becoming even more and more intense. And um, uh, last night, Vi and I were... um, we, we actually have a smart TV. We don't have cable or anything. But we're watching at a uh, watching a YouTube video concerning what's going on in the Middle East. And there's this picture of uh, Putin and uh, Erdogan from Turkey and uh, the Ayatollah from Iran holding their hands together. 
and Turkey is massing troops. I mean, it's, everything is happening to set up Ezekiel 38. The army's coming in from the north. And the thing we have to understand, the Bible says that when we see these things starting to happen, beginning to happen, we're to lift up our heads, for our redemption is drawing near. <clears throat> and we live in a world that has become so callous and cruel. I mean, you really think about it. We're believers, born-again Christians. We love Jesus. And yet we live in a country where the most innocent of our people are being murdered on a daily basis through abortion. I mean, millions and millions and millions. Four or five times more than the Holocaust. And we just kind of act like nothing's going on. We have to realize that violence is overtaking our whole world. And therefore, as believers, we have a blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, understand this. Our desire shouldn't be only to escape from this world. I mean, I look forward to that. But you know what our desire should be? To see him. Can you imagine whether it be death or the rapture, we're going to see him as he is. Now, what we only see is in the glass dimly. Then we're going to see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully. I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like? We're going to be talking about uh, God meeting Moses on Mount Sinai this morning. But you and I can meet with God anytime we want. Because God, by his Holy Spirit, in the salvation that we share together, has given us the privilege to boldly approach his throne of grace, that we might worship him and be in his presence. But sometimes I think it's so easy to get so tangled up in this world that we lose sight of our most important responsibility to worship the Lord, to worship him simply because he's worthy. Now, in this portion... We have instructions that God is giving Moses <clears throat> excuse me, to prepare the people that he might meet with them on Mount Sinai. And what is the point of this whole portion we're going to be looking at? The point is that you can't come to, Lord, to the Lord any which way you want. In other words, the Lord is laying out all kinds of requirements before they can come to the mountain to meet with him. And they couldn't even go up. They couldn't even touch the base of the mountain. They could just come near the mountain. We can ascend boldly. But anyway, he, he lays out these requirements in order to come before him. And yet, we have so many people today that think, well, I can go to the Lord any way I want. Have you heard people say, all roads lead to heaven? Or have you ever heard people say, it's not how we approach him, it's who we're approaching. That's all the flesh. Because the fact is, there's only one God. And his name is Yahweh. Jehovah. And there is only one way to him. And that's through Jesus Christ. By the cleansing of his blood that he so freely sacrificed on the cross. He paid the price in full to Telestai. You are going to heaven because Jesus took care of it all. All you have to do is receive it. And so we have to understand that when God tells them, uh, you know, he said you need to wash up, you need to put on clean clothes, and you have to step away from all unrighteousness before you approach me. And we need to realize that the Lord's instructions are for us today maybe in a little bit different way. 
Because Yahweh's instructions to the church are similar, but they're different. Okay? Think about this. In, in the portion we're going to read, when the children of Israel approach the presence of God, they trembled and were fearful. You know how we approach the presence of God? With rejoicing and praise and worship. Why? They were fearful because they were aware of their sin. We're rejoicing and praising God because we're aware our sin has been forgiven. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. How amazing that is. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, it says this, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So in other words, Hebrews, the writer to Hebrews is telling us, the old covenant, all these laws, all these rules, all these regulations are never going to make you perfect. But then in Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, So let us no longer uh, judge you in food or in drink or regards to festivals or new moons or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. That's the substance, is Jesus Christ. Now, we are to be washed by the water of the word, We're to be clothed in robes of righteousness, and his Holy Spirit is able to lead us in all truth. God gives the privilege of coming to him, to anyone. That privilege is given to anyone who will simply call upon his name. And the thing we have to understand, and uh, I mentioned it last week. I used to mention this all the time, and it kind of uh, is something that I forgot for many years. And I call it the three C's. The first thing that has to happen is a person has to be convicted of sin. If you think you have no need, why are you going to seek a physician, right? If you have a need, you're going to seek help. And so the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, impresses upon us that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So the first thing that has to happen, you have to be convicted of sin. You know, the the funny thing is, not ha-ha funny, odd Maybe more odd than you think, but uh, there was a time I really didn't think I needed God. You know why? I was a great guy. I was just a great guy. I mean, I came from very adverse circumstances where I should have never been able to achieve anything. You know, and I made it through college and graduate school and all that. had a great job, and and, um, I was just really proud of me. And I didn't think I had any. I thought I was just a great guy. And the first time I came to a place where I was confronted, confronted with my own nature, with my own sin, I was so humbled and laid low that I couldn't even lift up my head. I realized, I finally came to a point where I realized I was a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then, of course, that led to me starting to go to church, even reading the Bible. And I became convinced. That's the second C. I became convinced Jesus was the way. He was the one who could forgive sin. He was the one who could cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was convinced. But there's a third C. You have to be converted. You have to take 
you know, that uh, conviction, that convincing, and put it into the practice of living a holy and righteous life by accepting, by being converted, accepting Jesus Christ into your heart to change your life. Because I propose that even we who are believers, I don't think we take seriously, at least not enough, the command to live righteous and holy lives in this present age. And the reason we live righteous and holy lives, brothers and sisters, should never be to feel good about ourselves. Oh, look at me. I'm so righteous and holy. I'm just such a great guy. You know, I, I pray three times a day, facing east. You know, just joking. But, you know, we, we think that's being so holy and, and righteous. But the reality is I desire to live a righteous and holy life that I might be in more intimate communion with my Lord. Fellowship with him, worship him, is the most desirous of all things. I'll tell you what, there's nothing that this world, you know, tempts us with that in the long run makes us feel better about ourselves, better about life. Makes us feel a whole lot worse. But the things God has for us lift us up, and it has nothing to do with our circumstances, but everything to do with him. What a blessing it is to know the Lord in that way. You know, and um, in Hebrews, because we're allowed, did you know that? The, ch- the children of Israel, they couldn't even touch the base of the mountain. We can approach God boldly. In fact, if you want to turn to it, you can. In Hebrews 4.16, it says this. Let us therefore, because of all that Jesus has done for the sacrifice he made in the cross for our sins, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. It's by grace you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Come boldly is metaphoresia and in the Greek. And the meta is an interesting word because it's usually used as an adverb and it, it, it It gives the impression of being accompanied. Come, being accompanied. And how do we come to the throne of grace? We're accompanied by Jesus Christ. And also, the pharisea, that particular word means to come bluntly, to come candidly, to come openly. In other words, when we approach the throne of grace, we do it being accompanied by Jesus Christ. There's no other way except through Jesus Christ. And we come candidly. You know what, Lord, here I am. Warts and all. I'm not hiding anything. I stand before you naked. Here I am, Lord. See my wicked way. Cleanse me, Lord. Purify me. That's the way we come before the Lord. You know, so many people think that they have to come before the Lord by hiding all their sin, by putting on this facade of being righteous and holy. I'm such a righteous, holy person, you know. But that's not what the Bible tells us. Come boldly before the throne. Now, this whole portion is laying the groundwork that God is giving for us to be able to come to him. And remember the children of Israel, the first mistake that they made, and I think Frank covered this the last time we were in Exodus, the first mistake the children of Israel made was this, telling Moses, you go talk to the Lord, find out what he wants, and whatever he wants us to do, We'll do it. What a mistake that was. You know why? They were denying their true nature. 
You know what our true nature is? I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to take, if I'm not a true believer, if I'm not washing the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going to take his word, and then I'm going to see if I can bend it and shape it and move it and, and cut it and dice it and slice it in such a way that I can still do what I want to do and make excuses for it. Years ago, a long time ago, and you would have no idea who I'm even talking about, but there was a, a fellow that uh, came to our church who, who got saved. And at least I, I thought he was. I don't know. And um, he was actually freed from heroin. He was a heroin addict. And he wasn't a young guy. In, in fact, he and his son were in Teen Challenge together. His son, by the way, has uh, ended up getting his doctorate degree in ministry and uh, is a pastor. But this particular fellow... Um, he came and talked to me one day, and he said, you know what, Pastor Frank? He said, I'll tell you what. He said, here's the way I look at it. If I go all week without using heroin, I go all week, I don't think the Lord minds if I use it one day a week. And I'm like, but then I was thinking, how much are we like that? How much are we like that? Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm normally really righteous. and I, I try to do your will, but... Don't you think once in a while I can just do whatever I want? Sometimes I think that's the way we are as well. But the thing that I always think about is I'm so thankful that my eternal destination doesn't depend on me. Because if it did, I wouldn't get very far. It depends on him. So we are in Exodus chapter 19, picking up with verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Consecrate me is from the Hebrew word kadash, and it means to actually set apart or to sanctify. So you and I as believers, do you understand we're set apart? We're sanctified unto the Lord. The moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you were born again, you belonged to him for the purpose of being his instrument in this world. You're set apart for his use. You're not set apart for our own use. Or for someone else's use, but for his use. And, uh, and let them wash their clothes. This is still verse 10. And let them be ready for the third day. I want you to notice how many times three is used here. And I'm going to get to that a little bit later. And uh, let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set boundaries to the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Wow, that's pretty exciting. Whether man or beast... He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. Not on the mountain, but near it. So Moses went down uh, from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass... On the third day in the morning that there was thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sounds of the trumpet was very loud. The sound of the trumpet was very loud. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. 
You and I rejoice. We're thankful in God's presence. We're saying hallelujah. They trembled. Why? Because they were still in their sin, you see. Verse 17, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many, many, and, and, um, many of them perish. Also, let the priests uh, who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said, Lord, the people cannot come up to the mountain, for you warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Now, what's Moses doing here? It seems out of place that Moses is saying this. God already told him that. So go down and tell the people that. What Moses was saying, Lord, I'm um, old, probably about 100 years old. I've already been up and down this mountain a few times. I don't want to go down again. I already told the people that. I think that's what is, is the intent is here. In verse 24, that's why it says, Then the Lord said to him, Away! And that's in quotation marks in your Bible, because it was said forcefully. The Lord said, Away! Get down, um, get down then come up, <laughs> with Aaron, and with Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people, and he spoke to them. Now, this portion doesn't sound great. You know, blast of trumpets, thunders and lightnings, great fire. You touch the base of the mountain, man or beast, you're going to be either stoned to death or shot with arrows. It doesn't sound very, very great because it isn't. But how different it is for us in the new covenant. Remember what we read in Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly, you know, confidently, openly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what's the difference between the old covenant where at the sound of the Lord it was, it was scary and, and all, all these uh, warnings were given of, of being stoned or shot with arrows. What's the difference between that and in Hebrews when we're told to come before the Lord Boldly, confidently. You know what the difference is? It can be summed up in one word. Jesus. That's the difference. Jesus. Remember, the old covenant was just a shadow of the things to come. The old covenant was to show us our need. And Jesus came to supply that need. How wonderful it is. You see, God always wanted relationship with his people, not religion. And... Too many people still want religion. Religion is man's attempt to have a relationship with God. Well, this is what I'm going to do. Well, this is what I'm going to do. If I, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Man wanting to have his own relationship with God. And religion will only get us as far as our own self-will will go. As far as our own ability will go. And you want to know something? Our self-righteousness doesn't even get us near the base of the mountain. 
We have no ability in our own. But God, in his redeeming love, gave us Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, understand, not only are all of our sins forgiven, and we are washed and purified. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not some, not most, from all unrighteousness. And therefore, we can come before the Lord boldly. And then he's given us his Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Comforter, the Great Physician, who indwells our heart, our cardiac, our inner man, that we know right from wrong. We really do. But the Holy Spirit not only shows us right from wrong, but if we allow him, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do what is right. Doesn't mean we do it perfectly, but we seek to do what is right. Now, why would God ask them to wash their clothes and not have conjugal relations with their wives? Why would God ask them to do that? Well, as far as washing and washing their clothes, it's kind of like, even though we've been married 48 years, if Vi and I are going out on a date, and we still go out on dates once in a while, if Vi and I are going out on a date, you know what I do? I shave, I take a bath, I put on clean, nice clothes, hopefully, and, you know, to get ready to go out. You know why? Because I love her, and it's, in a sense, a sign of respect. I'm taking you out, I'm going to look nice when we go out. Well, the same thing is true. We're supposed to be clothed in robes of righteousness. And so we want to look nice before the Lord. We want to look good when we're going to have that intimate relationship with him. That's what God has called us to do. But understand, it's always all him. He does the cleansing, and he puts on the clothing of righteousness. It's all him. Because we want to be in relationship with him. In fact, taking this verse to an extreme and possibly even out of context, I'm not sure. That's where the old sayings came from. Remember, going to put on my Sunday go to meeting clothes. You know, guys had a suit and the only time they wore it was on Sunday. You know, my Sunday go to meeting clothes. And so we have to realize that that was just a human attempt to want to approach God, you know, looking right. But we have to understand the only way we can do that is to be clothed in his righteousness and in his sanctification. And as far as the conjugal relationship that is mentioned here, why would that be mentioned? There's a reason for it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, it says, Do not deprive one another except for consent for a time. Consent means you're in agreement. Why? that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. That you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. There are parts of the marriage that the Lord has given us for pleasure. It's not for any spiritual reason. It's for pleasure. And so we have to understand that when we desire to come before the Lord, we have to set aside all the things of the flesh. We have to set aside seeking after all... you. Know, our desire is to have a spiritual relationship with him, to be in communion with him, to come close to him, 
to have a special time with the Lord. In fact, it's interesting that the Greek word that is used to have intimacy with the Lord is koinonia. The literal translation of koinonia is intercourse. It's not talking about what you're thinking. It's talking about having that intimate fellowship with God. That's what we're supposed to have, koinonia with our Lord, intimacy. And what a wonderful thing it is. Any of you who are believers, you have had those times when you've been in the Word or you've been in prayer and, man, you feel the presence of God like you, you just can't even put it into words. I mean, sometimes you're just overwhelmed by the Lord. That's what God desires of us. And in order to do that, we have to be willing to lay all our sins before him, asking for his sanctification, asking for his redemption, for his cleansing, and then by his Holy Spirit be able to come into his presence. You know, A.W. Tozier, who, uh, he died in 1964, he was a pastor, he was a Christian missionary and alliance pastor, and he was a prolific writer. In fact, I think I've read every book he's ever written. And he was a funny guy, never drove, he always took the bus, and he would take the bus at four in the morning, winter, summer, he'd stop at the park, and he'd sit there for an hour and pray before he went on to his office. And as soon as he got to his office, he would take off his traveling clothes, and he had a pair of old khakis and a sweatshirt he'd put on. And that's who he would wear while he's working on his message. But anyway, um, Tozier, when he would have his prayer time with the Lord, he used to go down into the cellar of their house. And some of you are old enough to know what I mean when I say a cellar, where you had the octopus coal stove, you know what I mean, and all the drafts and doors that went up and down. And he said he would go down there, and he would just sit before the Lord until he heard nothing. He no longer heard the furnace. He no longer heard footsteps upstairs. He heard nothing. And then he was ready to become intimate with the Lord and to get into his word and to pray. You know, there's a, a video we have around here, and it's called War Room. Excellent video. And um, it's about a woman who's being taught the power of prayer. And the war room is where she did battle. And it was a closet that she set apart for her to go in and just pray, to be alone with the Lord. Well, we need to be willing and able to do that as well. Now, notice um, twice in verse 11 and twice in verse 15, the Lord said he would appear on the third day. Also, in verse 1 of this chapter, Frank covered this last time he shared, in verse 1 of this chapter, it tells us that it was the third month after they left Egypt they came to Sinai. So you have the three there. And um, Jesus told his disciples that after his death, he would appear on the third day. Matthew sixteen twenty one. From that time, Jesus began to show uh, to his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And he says the same thing about being raised the third day uh, to his disciples twice in Mark, six times in Luke, and once in John, and many times in the epistles. He says on the third day he would be raised. It's, it's interesting that the book of Hosea, which is a, a great book, it's a, he's one of the minor prophets. You know, when we talk about major and minor prophets, it doesn't mean, well, the major prophets were the really good ones, and the minor ones were kind of like the minor leagues. They're just kind of down here. No, all it has to do is the length of the book. When we talk about a minor prophet, their book is short. That's all it means. And a lot of them were contemporary of one another. But um, 
Hosea, um, in, he's the one who really called God's people to repentance. He really called them to repentance. And in this portion of Hosea I'm going to read, he promised to raise them up on the third day. So in Hosea 6, if you want to turn there quickly, Hosea 6 and verses 1 and 2. Hosea 6, starting with verse 1. Hosea 6, verse 1. Come and let us return to the Lord. See, repentance, return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Wow. How amazing is that? And then, of course, in Matthew 12, 39 through 40, you have the whole account where all the Pharisees and and Sadducees and teachers of the law were saying, show us a sign, and then we'll believe, show us a sign. And Jesus said to them, he said, you know what? An evil and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none shall be given it except for the sign of Jonah. If Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, doesn't say whale, was in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man should be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, the bowels of the earth. And Jesus Christ, when he descended, it was not for any other reason than to set the captives free. Did you know that? It tells us that in the epistles that he led a great train to heaven. You had all these people, all these righteous men and women who died before the coming of Christ, but they couldn't go to heaven because no one can be cleansed of their own sin. And so Jesus Christ came down to offer the good news of salvation to them, and they rejoiced and took it. And he led a great train. And the word that is used there in the Greek for train is the same word that's used for a wedding garment, a woman's train. And that great train that was led to heaven were believers. How amazing is that? Then he came back to earth and he, you know, for 40 days he showed himself to his disciples. And then he says the same thing that I just read in, in um, Matthew sixteen twenty one. He says the same thing in Mark twice, six times in Luke. So we have to understand that this is a promise that we have from the Lord. The earth was separated from the waters. Think about this on the third day. Uh, there are three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's also Israel. The three verses of the priestly blessing, which are listed three times, which is called the Tetragrammaton, use the word holy, Concerning the Lord three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's the number 6, 24 through uh, 26. Three times the seraphim cry, Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6, 3 and Revelation 4, 8. After the great flood, mankind descended from three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Three men announced announced to Abraham that his barren wife would conceive and bear a son. And that's in Genesis uh, eighteen fourteen. There, three see is considered divine perfection. Seven is considered divine uh, completion. But three is considered divine perfection. And on the third day, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead, 
And it's only through his resurrection and his sacrifice on the cross. We believe in the crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And it's at his resurrection that we also are raised to new life in Christ, it tells us in Scripture. What an amazing promise it is. So it tells us here in this portion that we just read, the Lord descended on the mountain in smoke and fire. And it's interesting. Now, um, where many people think Mount Sinai is, it really isn't. It doesn't line up geographically and, and many other reasons. It's actually in Saudi Arabia. And you can find all kinds of, you know, information on this. But anyway, the top of Mount Sinai is scorched to this day. You can, you can go online and see pictures of it. It is scorched, burnt from the top down. Fire normally burns up. Also, it has a granite crust indicating intense heat, which proves it wasn't just a meteorite. And so can you imagine how spectacular this was? The Lord came down in fire, and that mountain to this day is still scorched in the top. You can go online and, and see it. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. Now, the thing that I think about is here you have the children of Israel that witnessed this spectacular event. And what did they do right after that? They went and fashioned a golden calf and began worshiping the golden calf, saying, you are the one who brought us out of Egypt. The people rebelled. And so we have to understand that miracles and even the rapture won't change the heart of a hard-hearted person. Look at how many people saw Christ's miracles. He worked miracle after miracle. I mean, he, he healed the deaf, the blind, the cripple, cast demons out of people, raised the dead, and they didn't believe. You see, there has to be something in the heart of man that realizes his need. And that we, as believers, we need to be praying for our loved ones who aren't saved. Not, oh, Lord, take care of them and do this. We need to be praying, Lord, show them their need. That's what we need to be praying. Show them their need, Lord. It's only when they see their need they're going to seek help. And that's so important for us to realize. You know, um, it's also, I find it very interesting that where did God speak to Moses in the midst of the fire? It was kind of like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Moses is going right into this fire. Do you ever think about that? The Lord descended as fire, smoke and fire in the mountain, the whole top of the mountain scorched, and that's where Moses went in. Of course, he wasn't consumed. But you know what it showed me and spoke to me? How often does the Lord speak to us in the fire? You know, so often we're saying, Lord, Lord, I, I really want an answer to this prayer, so make everything great, put me in a nice situation, make everything perfect, no problems at all, and then I can hear from you. No, when everything is like that, so often we're so occupied with all the wonderful things and fun and good times we're having, we don't even take time to try to hear from the Lord. But what happens when we're in the fire? Oh, Jesus, please help me. And it doesn't have to be those, that kind of desperation. All I'm saying, sometimes when we're going through difficulties, it might not be intense difficulty where we're... But when we're going through difficulty, that's when we hear from the Lord. Why is it when we're facing great difficulty, we say, Oh, Lord, I, I really want to be yours. I want to give it all to you. And sometimes when things ease up and start getting better, we start forgetting our promise. I remember hearing... Uh, a joke, I think it was a joke, I don't know if it was true, 
But a, a guy was, um, his boat sank. He was out in the ocean a little bit. Away is a few miles out in the ocean. And, um, and he said, Lord, if you save my life, I promise I'll worship you all my days. And he began swimming. And he got about a mile from shore and he goes, Lord, I, I promise to try to be a better person, you know, if you save my life. And then by the time he got to shore, he forgot all about the Lord. You know, we have to understand that intense times we're in should not be just us crying out to have the intense times released, but it should cause us to cry out because we see our need. We need him every day. We need him every hour, the old hymn says, right? And so my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, is this. We're living in the last days. There's no question about it. You can't see... You can't read Ezekiel 38. It's absolutely amazing. You know, you have 36. Ezekiel 36 is all about Israel being reestablished as a nation. Never before. Did you know that the Hebrew language was lost? That the Jews around the world didn't speak Hebrew at that time. Did you know that? They spoke Yiddish and other forms that were a combination of some Hebrew and the nations that they were living in. Yiddish is from Germany. They didn't speak Hebrew. And they're back in their ancient land, speaking ancient land. If, 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 any, if David had shown up in Jerusalem right now, he could understand them. They speak the ancient Hebrew language. And now you have Jerusalem being recognized as the capital. And I think things are getting set up for the third temple. Now you understand, it doesn't have to be a temple. It can be a tabernacle. And you have uh, the altar was sanctified, you know, a few weeks ago for sacrifice. So many things that are happening. It says when you see these things beginning to happen, they're beginning to happening, happen, brothers and sisters. We need to lift up our head. Our redemption is drawing near. And until that day come, until the trumpet blasts and, and we're taken out of this world, you and I should be found doing the work of ministry. How do we want to be found? Laying on our bed, you know, sitting watching all the prophecy movies we can. No, we want to be found doing the work of ministry. Well, I don't know what to do. How can I do the work of ministry? I can give you an easy answer. Get a prayer journal. Start writing down the needs of yourself, your family, and others. And get on your knees and pray. That's what you can be doing. He answers prayer. That's what the Bible tells us. Do we believe that? You know, one of the things I, I'm not going to, you know, just linger on. I just want to say this one last thing. You know, our church has a prayer vine. And so when you have someone who has a need, we put it in the prayer vine and people pray for, for that need. It's amazing how many answers to prayer we've seen. I mean, absolutely amazing. And yet sometimes, do you ever hear this? Well, I guess there's nothing else to do but pray. That should have been the first thing you did. You did. First thing you do is pray. So let's pray. <laughs> Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word and the truth that we find in it. And we pray, Lord, that we would truly be sanctified, set apart, putting on the robes of righteousness and having a desire in our heart to follow you and to be your example, to be your witness in this world. Help us to have the heart of evangelism, Lord and to be people of prayer, people of the word. 
And Father, work a miracle in our midst that we might experience real revival in this little fellowship. And I pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And you know, brothers and sisters, when we talk about revival, so many people think a lot of people coming in. That's not what revival is. Revival is us getting revived, us getting alive for the Lord. So, amen. God bless you.